Thessalonians, chapter 2, reading from verse 1. And if you're following in the Bibles in the pew, you want page 1189. The Man of Lawlessness. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And then we turn the page to, and continue reading at verse 13. Stand firm. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in, in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, thank you for Peter and the family who joined us today. Father, be with him as he speaks your words. May you inhabit his words, Lord, today. May we know your voice speaking to us. Strengthen him, give him all your discernment, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Don't worry about uh, Debbie and the girls nipping out, they're just on a little errand. Well, can I say it's wonderful to stand before you this morning as your newly inducted, instituted and installed vicar. Uh, I don't know about you, but that makes you sound like I'm sort of new cooker. <laughs> A newly installed cooker. We have got one of those in the vicarage kitchen, which is, uh, which is great. Uh, but uh, no, but seriously, the service on Tuesday night, if you're here, thank you for coming. Uh, was a, an amazing and inspiring time, wasn't it? Uh, and I know a lot of people gave a lot of their time to make that service happen, so thank you very much indeed. Uh, but even more than that, I felt God poured out his spirit upon us. And uh, he was here uh, in power as we sang songs of praise and worship and as the Hubbard family were prayed for, and the Archdeacon preached, and I think it was a good sermon, actually. And the Bible, um, I'm, I'm not saying that in surprise, I'm just saying. And, uh, 
and the bishop led the service. And may I say, as a family, we are delighted to be amongst you, uh, delighted to be here. Uh, Debbie will tell you that I really don't like moving. Uh, I don't think many people do, uh, but I, I really don't like moving. But we haven't moved very far. You know, we've only just come from Rabbit Green down the road. Uh, but our move was made so much easier uh, by your love and your care and your prayers as we've moved into the vicarage. And so we're on the next stage of our journey together, our lives together, for however long God calls us to be here at Christchurch. Uh, at the nine o'clock service, Steve introduced uh, us and said, well, yeah, weeks, months, maybe even decades. And uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I feel a bit sorry for you saying that. Um, but I know and I expect the wardens would say uh, that um, they would hope us to be around a, a good while because it, it does take a lot of work to appoint a new vicar. There's a lot of background stuff that doesn't get seen. But uh, we are on a journey together. And indeed, your parish profile, the document that's drawn up for uh, a vacancy and for people like me who want to find, a bit, find out a bit more about who you are and what you are doing, what you're involved with in the church and in your outreach to the parish, uh, it says in the, in, the, uh, in the parish profile, the strap line, if you like, that this parish uh, is loving God and living his adventure. Loving God and living his adventure. I like that. It's a good summary of what a church, a local church is about. Loving God and living his adventure. And that's what we are about. And that's, uh, what is, what we, that is what we're called to do and be as a church family. We're called to love God with all our heart and our soul, mind and strength. And we're called to go on an adventure of faith with him as we love each other and love the community that he has placed us in. And part of that journey is to get to know each other or begin to get to know each other. The advantage that you've got is that you've only got four names to learn. Peter, Debbie, Naomi, and Miriam. The disadvantage we've got is we've got a lot of names to learn. We've got about 100, 150. I haven't counted how many there are of you yet. Uh, but we've got a lot of names to remember. And then if you throw in the local primary school... 300 children or so, I don't know, 30, 40, staff, another 350 names. So I'm very much the disadvantage. Uh, so please bear with us. We will ask your names more than once, um, and don't be surprised about that. If you've got a name badge on, it's really helpful, actually. Just, I can just see your name. But we do need to begin to get to know each other so that we can be a community on an, on adventure, on an, on an adventure of faith under God. And we've also got to trust each other and as we do that, we can then go places with God, with our Savior Jesus. And one of the things you'll learn about me is I love to preach and teach the Bible. One of the things I wrote on my application form uh, for this job was to that end. I said, I have a deep and growing passion for God and his glory. I love God's word and explaining the Bible in a variety of contexts and in ways that make it understandable, relevant, and challenging to people's lives. In my preaching, I aim to be faithful to the text, clear in my communication of its meaning to the people, and open to the Spirit's leading and guiding as the Bible's teaching is explained and explored in community. It's quite something to live up to, isn't it? <laughs> Just be careful when you write an application form because then you don't have to live it out. Uh, but I love to preach and teach God's Word. And the passage before us today is from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And uh, in preparation for this, I listened to Ursula's sermon, who uh, Ursula preached last week on chapter one of this letter. And uh, uh, just helped me to sort of get into a little bit of so where you are uh, in your uh, listening to sermons and learning from the sermons. Uh, so thank you, Ursula, for that. And chapter one, Paul is encouraging the church. 
And he's saying, well done, you're doing well. You're growing in your faith, you're growing in your love, and you're persevering. And your faith in Jesus is growing as a result. And so this week our attention turns to chapter 2 of of this short but very powerful letter. And I want to concentrate particularly on verses 13 to 17 of of chapter 2. I'll read them again because they are hope-filled words. They are words that will inspire us as we meditate upon them as we take them into our heart and our soul. Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The theme this week is God chose you. And we can see that in verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you. Now, those words alone should just stop us in our tracks and make us marvel at the grace and the love and mercy of God. God has chosen me. God has chosen you. That is encouraging. That is so encouraging. God has chosen you. I wonder if you believe that deep down in your soul. God has chosen you. We hear hear those words quite often in, in churches, in Christian circles, don't we? But we can forget that these words were written and spoken to Christians who were a young church, probably less than 10 years old as a church, and they're going through a hard time, a really hard time. And we can forget that as we sit in the comfort and warmth of this church building here. But they were living at a time of extreme danger. Because there they are, they're surrounded, they are in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire at that point is very anti-Christian. The Christians, of course, worship Jesus as their king, but the Roman emperor is the one who is deified. The Roman emperor is the one that they are told to worship, and yet they choose to worship Jesus. And then you've got the Jews, who are against, as well, of course, because the Jews are are against the the idea of worshipping Jesus as Messiah, as the Son of God. And so the church in Thessalonica is hard-pressed on all sides. And so they need to be reminded of the truth that they are chosen. And that truth that God shows you is based on three big truths. Firstly, that God loves us unconditionally. See what Paul says in verse 13. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. The Bible teaches lots of truths, but the overarching truth, the biggest truth of all in the Bible, is that God, is, God exists, that God is there, that God is real. But right on the heels of that truth, there's another truth, and that truth is that God, who created everything, has chosen to love us. I wonder if you've ever Googled something. You probably have. Uh, you know, you can put it in the Google... Um, uh, box, you could Google anything. And if you put in the, the little box, the love of God, it comes up with 1.2 billion links. 
much of the love that we express as people or we experience from people is conditional. And conditional love is based upon your performance. You have to earn it. A person might uh, say, they might say it or might, might do it, uh, but, and they might say, I will love you if. Or they might say, I will love you if you will love me. Or I will love you if you will obey me. Or I will love you if you will make me feel in a certain way. But God's love is unconditional. God doesn't love me because I'm especially lovable. He loves me because he is loving. In other words, God doesn't love us for who we are. He loves us for who he is. So why does God love us? Why does he love you? Why does he love me? Well, essentially it's because God is love. By his nature, he loves us. He loves you because he loves you. He knows more about you than anybody else. He knows more about you than you do. He knows more about me than I do. He knows every mistake you've made. He knows every mistake I've made. He knows every mistake you'll ever make. And every mistake I will ever make. And yet he still loves us unconditionally. In the lead up to, to my licensing on Tuesday, uh, in fact the night before it, I went through a bit of a confidence, a, 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 yeah, a confidence, a crisis of confidence. And I had an argument with God. I don't know if you ever had one of, one of those. You probably have. And I said to God, I'm not worthy to be vicar of Christ Church Basin Hill. I'm not good enough. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I get things wrong. I'm no near, nowhere near perfect. Just ask Debbie and the girls. I don't feel up to the job. But God in his grace and his mercy said to me, Peter, I love you. And that's all that matters. I've chosen you to be the vicar of this church. And yes, you'll mess up. Yes, you'll make mistakes as their pastor, their minister. But the bottom line is, I love you. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. All the other world, all the other world's religions say and teach that you have to earn God's love. You have to be good enough to earn God's love. But Christianity is unique. It's the only faith that says that God loves us whatever. He loves everyone, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And if you know the Bible, you know the Bible is full of examples of that. In Luke 15, Jesus says that God is like a shepherd who has 99 sheep and one sheep has wandered away. He's lost, got lost. And he leaves the 99 sheep in the sheep pen and he goes off to find a little lost sheep and he searches and searches until he finds that one sheep and brings him home. God loves you so much that if you're the only person on earth, he would have come to find you. Jesus says that God is like a father who even loves a disobedient child. He tells a story of a son who broke his father's heart by asking for the share of his will before he died. And that son took the money and he spent it in wild living, rebellious living and wine and women and song. And when that broken down, rebellious and wayward son comes home, the father's on the road with his arms open, up, open wide and welcomes his son home. Do you ever feel like that son? 
God loves you. Hold on to that truth. God loves you unconditionally. Secondly, God chose me before I believed. Paul says to these battered and bruised believers in the second half of verse 13, from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. There's a great truth in the Bible that we can miss. It's that long before we chose Jesus, he chose us. God chose us first. I don't know if you have the um, uh, uh, memory of when you were a, a youngster and you were going to play football. I used to play football with my friends in the street quite a lot. And uh, we'd go out or, or in school and we'd line up. The teacher would tell us to line up in a row along the front uh, of the playground. And I remember distinctly uh, many times when I would, I would be there waiting to be picked or just you know, shivering in my boots a little bit and not sure whether I was going to be picked or when. And I always remember, I was a little, quite a, I didn't grow until I was about 15, 16. Uh, I was a, one of the smallest in my year, and I would always, pretty much always be picked last, or near last. I was always picked as defender. You know, the ones who are kind of not quite good enough to be at the front in the middle, you know, kind of at the back as a defender. And so there I was, chosen as defender. But the thing is, the, the Bible says something different, that God chose us first. He chose you first. Ephesians, if you know Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite books of the Bible, Ephesians 1, chapter 4, verse, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, tells us an amazing truth. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God shows you whether or not you will be on his team. And so there's an issue of the will, isn't there, in this? God chose us, and yet we still have got to be, we've got to decide to be on his side or on his team. And so when a person is saved, there's three things going on. Three factors. There's the word of God, there's the work of the Holy Spirit, and there's the will of the person. You're not a robot. We're not robots. We're not, pro, we're not pre-programmed to behave in a certain way. We don't press that button, we behave like that, press that button. We're not robots. We can choose to decide something for ourselves. But God has chosen us, and the issue is whether we will line up on his side, whether we'll go with him. So just put your, yourself in that place when you're a youngster again, and you're lining up uh, to be chosen for football, whatever it is. And you're shivering in your boots, and you're quaking in your boots, and you're wondering whether you're going to be chosen or not. And the, the team captains are going to be chosen, and there's a big lad who's older than, or looks older anyway, big for his age, and he immediately is chosen to be a captain. It's obvious, because he's bigger than the rest of the, t of the children. And so he comes out, and he's looking around, and he's seeing who he wants on his team. And you're thinking to yourself, gosh, I wish I'm hoping I'm on his team because he looks the best football, football player I've ever seen. And you're kind of thinking, well, he won't ever choose me. But then he looks at the, the row of, of, of children in front of him, and he, and he looks you in the eye, and he says, I choose you. I choose you. And that's what God is like. He looks at us, and he chooses us. And if you've got any sense, you would say to that 
big a lad, you say, yes, I want to be in your team because you'll know that his is the winning side. And so when God says to us, will you come with me? Hopefully we say yes. Yes, sir, I want to be on your team. Thank you for choosing me. Who, who wouldn't want to be on God's team? His is the winning side. Thirdly, God gives me the strength to stand firm. Paul says to these Christians in Thessalonica in verse 17, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father encourage your hearts and strengthen you. Again in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he writes about putting on the armor of God. We know that chapter, don't we, very well. The armor of God. And the reason God says to put on the armor of God is so that we can go and fight. And he says three times in that chapter in Ephesians, three times to stand. He says, stand, having done all that stand, and then stand firm. I wonder if you know the expression, don't just stand there, do something. But in Christianity, you can actually turn that on its head. And you can say, don't just do something, stand there. Because in the Christian life, it doesn't start with action, it starts with conviction and belief. Standing on truth. And then that truth leads to action. But first we must stand on what we believe. Martin Luther is one of my heroes of the faith. And, uh, you know, the story of how he stood up to the, to the Roman Catholic Church at that time, a very, very uh, corrupt church. And at the start of the Reformation, he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Someone said, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And we've got solid truth to stand upon, haven't we? While our culture redefines and keeps on redefining truth and morality, we stand firm on the truth of the Bible. One of the great hymns of the past was a, a hymn written by a man called Edward Moat in the 1800s. And the, his hymn says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Interestingly, the song that has been written more recently, much more recently, by, um, called Cornerstone, is based on that hymn. In fact, it's very, very carefully based on that hymn. I think we're going to sing it after my talk. But we don't stand in our own strength. We can't stand in our own strength. We stand in God, who is our strength. I don't know if you were like me when you were young. Uh, you might have sung this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. But we never get to the point where we don't need his strength. We always need his strength. We are weak, but he is strong. Psalm 18 says some wonderful words. God, he clothes me with strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. You widen a place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way. I was watching a, a, a nature program on TV quite recently. It was a, a program about a, a, a deer called an ibex, a little cute little animal called a, a, an ibex. And these ibex could go up these really steep high mountains, hugely craggy and difficult ones to go up, and yet they can climb up really easily. And they can go up and down, and they can run away from uh, other things that are trying to get hold and trying to eat them. And uh, they can do it because there's a safe way that they've learned to walk. 
what they do is they look where their front legs have been, where their front feet have been, and they put their back feet where their front feet have just been. Now, the difference between an ibex and me is that I've only got two legs and they've got four. You might have the same problem as I've got. <laughs> but that's what God wants us to do. What does he do? He helps us to put our feet where Jesus has just put his. He helps us to follow Jesus. He asks us to watch where Jesus has just been and to put our feet where Jesus has just been. And so therefore, our steps will be safe. So remember those three essential truths. God loves us unconditionally. That's the first thing. God loves us unconditionally. Secondly, God chose me before I believed. Thirdly, God gives me the strength to stand firm. Brothers and sisters, we are at the beginning of a new journey together as the family of God here at Christ Church. We don't know where that adventure will take us. But I do know that God wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we fix our eyes on him, he will keep our steps safe. And he will lead us where he wants us to go for him and with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you faithfully guide us and lead us. Thank you that you lead us in the paths that you have chosen for us. And thank you that we can trust you because we know that your love for us is unconditional. We know that we don't deserve it, but you lavish your love upon us. Thank you that you have chosen us before we believed. And thank you that in your power we can stand firm because you give us your strength. Lord, help us in our journey that lies ahead of us. Help us to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.